0: Hey, this is Mike Ayala. I'm all about helping people find financial freedom. And one of the best and fastest ways to grow your wealth and achieve financial freedom is through real estate investing. I know, I've done it. I'm still doing it. Real estate investing is a key component to accelerating my earnings. And I want to share my knowledge and experience with you through my new Real Estate Accelerator program. This is a one-time only program that puts you in the virtual room with me and an awesome small group of investors with one goal in mind, financial freedom through real estate investments. I'll demystify the complicated world of real estate investing to help you identify money-making opportunities and create profitable new income sources. This course is designed to help guide you to success with clear instruction, direct takeaways, and honest answers to your questions. We'll chart a path to your success in real estate investing together. Anyone from the novice to the seasoned investor can profit from my experience to achieve their investment goals. The nine-week course kicks off this January. Sign up now at earnwithrealestate.com. That's earnwithrealestate.com. Let's do this together.
1: Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host. Mike Ayala. Thank you
0: for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today we are going to have an amazing show. I've got a guest on that is very well experienced and versed in many things. But even before the show, he was telling me how to run my show, which was kind of interesting in itself. But uh, (laughs) now, every time I have a conversation, though, with Josh McCallan, it's just always inspiring and we just have a great time. I always learn something and I don't think it's going to be any different today for you guys so josh welcome to the show
1: uh what an honor to be I'm, I'm here to invest for freedom am i in the right place you're here you're here brother i cannot wait to get to know your community thank you <laughs> so much for having me yeah it's gonna be good um well let's dive into the four
0: questions and then we'll get into some amazing awesome. stuff so who has had the greatest impact on
1: your life my late father-in-law changed my life my ma- my wife uh, is the oldest of 10 children and this guy was uh you know an accidental father at 17 and he took great care of my wife and then ended up having 10 kids and so i followed in his footsteps that's why we have 10 kids that's partially the reason but no he was an absolute treasure and he died tragically a year ago a month ago from a routine treatment at the hospital very sad Now it was a it, it was a dangerous thing they were checking his uh blood clotting in his brain to see if he was blood clotting and whatever it was a test. And and the technique actually caused the blood clot. And so he passed away without any of us knowing that was even a possibility that weekend. Oh, wow. man, that's tragic. Like you said, it is tragic. He had the most impact on me.
0: It's pretty wild. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, we kind of have that in common. My father-in-law has been a huge Huge impact in my yeah. life as well. It's pretty cool
1: and such a good good and that's so rare. Yeah. It's rare that that you get to know your father-in-law. I think yeah. most people don't even know their father-in-law very well. And it's even it's just obviously it shows uh how much I love being part of my wife's family. It's been really impactful for me.
0: Yeah. Same, same. Maybe we'll maybe we'll dig back into that a little bit. But I'm curious
1: is the 10 kids just random or was there really? Uh, So we got to a nine naturally meaning like just going with the flow as dad, as I always say, it's easier on the dad, more fun for the dad, has no pain or consequences for the dad, (laughs) poor moms. It hurts so much being a mom, but when we got to nine, Melanie actually was saying, you know, thanks for being generous. I'm generous, but uh, maybe we're done. I go, hold on, honey. Hold <laughs> on. We, we're like in striking distance of double digits here. We got to, we got to, please, can we have one more? So then we had number 10. He was a little guy. We're six ladies, four guys, and uh, we're in our mid forties. We're old people now, but uh, we've been married almost 25 years. So uh, it all, it actually was no twins. My wife says no shortcuts. We just had that many children. You know, I'm always inspired watching you two and, a, you know, a big thing that Kara
0: and I, I don't know, I've never, I don't think I've ever told you this, but you know, we're huge on, uh, being successful in business and, you know, the whole investing for freedom. I mean, yep. the reason why we do what we do was because I always wanted to be a present father and I wanted to keep my family first. And I've, I've watched you from a distance and your, your wife is involved in the business. Too. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. It's amazing what you guys
0: do. Like.
1: Yeah. And we haven't even told the audience, but we build resorts. Like we're like the house flippers of resorts. We've done it many times now and uh, they're not small either. Hundreds of acres, golf courses, restaurants, yeah. and Melanie is part of it. So we can get into that later. But I mean, I'll tell you, she didn't know she was going to be a part of it, but as we launched out as a group of syndicators, so I, you know, quick story. I was in the business before my wife got in the business of real estate development. But when I learned how to raise capital, you know, I left the fat cats of this world that have all the money and created these awesome syndicates where everybody can own these resorts together. Mm -hmm. And that's when Melanie got involved. So it was about three and a half, four years ago. And she's awesome at helping us.
0: You know, so many people, um, blame many excuses, but you know, family, I don't have enough time, my business, and you guys have 10 children (laughs) and work in the business together and make it look so eloquent. Like, Oh, give us give buddy. us the hack. What's the
1: hack? Okay, here's the hack. I will tell you the hack. When you're out there, you're listening. You're th- you're 25 years old. Mike has been an inspiration to you because he he's explained to you financial literacy and freedom. And you're probably like, man, one kid sounds hard. Here's the first hack. One kid is the hardest. Ironically, mm. it is challenging. We all remember who have some children, men. When you're the Only child, when you only have one, it's like you're their babysitter, their dad, their playmate, their discipline. You're everything to that baby, and therefore they need 99.9% of your day. As you have two, there's a little diffusion of of playtime. Then three can be trickier, but also maybe a little better if one of them's a little older. Well, fast forward to 10, and we have adults on the team, okay, Mike? We we call them the bigs, the mids, and the littles. And the bigs, the mids, and the littles all have – responsibility. That's the other cool trick. And the old hack is from the olden days. We raise them like baby boomers were raised, where we let them get hurt and we're not afraid of mistakes. Mm-hmm. We might, you know, you might get chastised for making a mistake, but it's okay. You're allowed to make mistakes. Yeah. And as long, here's the thing, as long as you specifically messes, right? If messes get made or accidents happen, just fix it, right? I mean, that's their number one rule. If you don't fix it, then we go crazy on you. But so bigs, the mids, and the littles, everybody's a boss to somebody, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So there is true subsidiarity going on in our house by necessity, right? You could, you could never be a helicopter parent with dead kids. So de facto, the kids have a pretty good life, right? I mean, they get, they get away with things. Every once in a while, I, f- I find a stash of candy upstairs because <laughs> they brought it upstairs. Like, they're just like... Like, like baby boomers, man, they're living their own little life in this ecosystem of relatives. I think it's pretty good for them. Um, We're very grateful for being able to be part of it. I love the hack. Let the bigs take care of the mids. Let the mids take care of the
0: littles. You know, I've, I've said this to so many business owners when they start talking about real estate and, and thinking about getting into rentals. And I've, I've told so many business owners this one one to 10 rentals is like one to 10 employees. It's like the hardest, right? Getting, because yep. you're doing everything. You're the manager, you're the sales guy, you're the book, you're everything. It's the same with rentals, but I've never, I've never heard somebody tell me that when it comes to children. So I love that. It's true though, I believe brother, it. think about it. Yeah,
1: you get, you get it, right? That I mean, like sense. if, if uh, it actually helps me in business a little bit and Melanie too now, I think uh, we realize we cannot, avoid every single mistake. So then you end up teaching and training people how to deal with mistakes better and overcome. And I think ultimately it makes our organization a bit stronger. I think it definitely makes our kids a little bit stronger. Um, I love it.
0: I'm going to start encouraging everybody to have more than 10 employees, more than 10
1: rentals and more (laughs) than 10 children. Or or at least more than one child. I think Uh, it it starts to get beneficial at two, three, four, five. I'll tell you what, man, I'm from a two person family. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mike, as your children are growing up in a two, I never perceived or conceived of having more. Uh, So it's been a journey for me the whole time. Now, my wife kind of, she knew how to chart the course and watching my father-in-law. Actually, that's the first thing I learned from my father-in-law when I was dating my girlfriend, Melanie, And I go to her house. She still has little baby brothers and sisters and they're walking around on tables. And I remember thinking as a guy who hadn't seen a baby in 10 years at that time, this little two year olds walking on the top of a table and one of her tricks, her name was Maura and she's still lovely. She's now an adult. She would put her toes over the edge of the coffee table and like, talk to me like, you know, giggle. And I'm thinking, is he not going to stop her? She's going to fall any second now. (laughs) And now that I think back to it, the fall was like 20 inches. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, Who deal. cares? You would have fallen. It's yeah. not a big deal, but when you're nervous, then it actually creates a super negative energy. Like you're anxious and and a stubbed toe is a big deal. No, no, no. You better be bleeding pretty bad before you come complain about it to us. We like that.
0: <laughs> I like it. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be?
1: this one feeling I, is pretty common to me, but I think is rare to others. And I embrace all of you to practice with me. And that is embrace the worst case scenario. Mm. And, and so uh, you, you, you know, you do that pros and cons list of every decision, but when you can embrace the worst case scenario, you're like, wait a second, that's, I'll get through that. Yeah. Then of course you can take the next step forward. So there's a, I just have a strong ability to embrace the worst case scenario. So therefore risk is seen as a, uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not as scary to me you know because i can see how the, it's literally not going to set off a nuclear bomb so let's just keep going forward so I, uh, moving forward and i think the technique i use is i embrace the worst case scenario then move forward i like it it's good stuff
0: what was your greatest setback and what did you learn from
1: it yeah biggest setback is i lost a company mm-hmm. so the recession uh, i was working for a rich rich developer 100 million dollars plus family office and we were building the best houses in the world like 10 million dollar flip houses and i was a project lead and all that cool stuff and then the recession comes not a big deal for him he he kept me paid for a while eventually a year later i re- i keep resigning he lets me go i take every dollar melanie and i have and no nine and i buy a franchise hmm. and i had the the concept that you know franchise buy a service-based franchise they give you leads you do the work you run a system you create an operating process well, I was dead wrong, man. If you ever buy a franchise, take it from me. You're still the number one salesperson. Mm. And I just, I hired a salesperson. I did everything wrong. And I uh, took my foot off the gas and and lost a company and lost everything. So that was 2010. And we started from scratch again.
0: Wow. You're, you're always the salesperson.
1: You have to be the sale. If you own the business, you damn well better be the salesperson I like it. Good. in a good way. Sales are a transfer of great value or they're not if they're not, maybe it's the wrong company. Don't do it. But if you believe in the company, then sales are a great thing is our companies. since that day, Mike, have you ever heard of that guy, Chet Holmes? Yeah. Love him. The ultimate Ultimate sales sales machine machine. from like 12 years ago. Pig headed discipline. Yeah, he pig headed discipline. Um, he his he passed away years ago. And so I've gotten to know Amanda Holmes, who owns her his company. And I've offered to buy his company, by the way. Amanda, if you're listening to this, we uh, the offer still stands. We will buy the ultimate sales machine because that philosophy, and she does listen to these things, she cracks me up. She just texted me last night. Um, she won't sell the company right now. And I'm like, come on, guys, sell the company. But um, That philosophy, the ultimate sales machine has impacted every company I've ever done since I lost Mm -hmm. that company, because everything is better when you're selling. And if everyone in the company is selling now selling again is transmission of a great good. Uh, And of course, there's an exchange of economics because you need to keep the great good built and keep it going. Therefore, wait till I share with you why we do this great good, whatever this great good is. Please join us. We'd love to take great care of you. And yes, you'll pay a fair price, and yes, it won't be cheap because it'll be so valuable. Yeah. And that premise, um, uh, yeah, I could go in I could go into hours. As a matter of fact, we summarize it for our staff. We have two hundred staff members today. And we teach a, a philosophy that's in our core values called sales are sacred. Mm. And what we've done now is we've recognized by buying distressed resort businesses, you know, that's basically what we are now is a turnaround company. Mm-hmm. And so we buy distressed things. What's, what's usually the flaw of a distressed thing sales, mm. you know, it's not always the physical buildings that's causing the problems. It's it's usually the philosophy the sales, the heart, the culture, and we teach sales are sacred. And what we've learned by buying businesses with staff and taking care of their responsibilities, they have families, is that every sale, at first you think, oh, this is important. We should make sales. This is what a company was built to do. And I always say, that's that's like the surface. Don't worry, keep going deeper. There's people that work here that are the janitor level teammates, the building teammates, the executive teammates. Every one of them wants to pay their bills and, pay, and take care of their kids. The sale is part of their our sacred commitment to them. Hmm. And so the entire philosophy of our company is sales are sacred because we think of the people we're paying their livelihood for Mm -hmm. at every moment. Now, of course we, we add great value to the guest, but uh, that philosophy saved the day when we started buying these really tired old resorts.
0: It's so good. And I just think the, I think it was one of the first times I ever met Ken McElroy and he made the comment, nothing happens in business until someone sells something. And I was just like, when you say sales are sacred it takes it so much deeper because like you said every every version of it i mean yeah you have to have sales in business but sales are sacred it's such an interesting
1: people yeah well i mean especially companies like ours you know you you and us you and i both have a lot of friends that have made incredible wealth by keeping their staff levels small. And that is not a bad strategy. Okay. Mm-hmm. There, there are people out there that know how to run companies without staff or with one staff member, and they still make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show not all of us have the same purpose in life. That yeah. That is a different purpose. That person's purpose are, is beautiful. Our purpose is to have staff. Mm. Uh, we were built to be with and for others. Yeah. We're very Dale Carnegie and the businesses we run are built on great people. So then our whole business is really about the great people and taking care of great people. And there is a beauty in the fact that 200 families rely on me and our teammates to sell. It's a burden that you can find other ways around it in this world. You can find ways to hire nobody and still make money. And that's wonderful. It's just not my calling. Our calling is to actually be a vibrant place where you want to work. And, yeah. and you see your value. Remember those of us who are investing for freedom are probably higher earning executives that are learning about what you teach yeah. financial independence. Um, and maybe all of us want freedom of all kinds, but I don't think it's an anti against your philosophy of investing for freedom to build a company that's good for those people that work there. Because remember, we, we all feel better when we're working yeah. and giving. Even if it's for our family, even if it, we do feel better our psyche is built on being good to others yeah. and to provide value, I think. Yeah. And if you take that out of everybody's life, it can leave a void and you end up filling that void with some sad things sometimes. So we're, we're, we know our purpose. We're super grateful. And uh, in our scenario, people are, are part of our purpose.
0: You know, I remember um, one of my first mentors, his name's Barry Liparelli. I actually had him on the show. I don't know, probably a year ago. And it was the, the guy's probably like 85. And so it was just a conversation. Wow. Um, but I remember when I started my first business and he really started mentoring me, he was talking about how, um, noble being an entrepreneur is and how, you know, employing people. And I didn't really fully understand what he was talking about then. Cause you know, I was a young guy and I was just like, I literally used to call it stacking bodies, <laughs> which shows you like <laughs> how, you know, out of tune and off base. I was, I was like growing so fast. I'm like, I just got to stack bodies. Like I'm just, I was just gathering yeah, employees throw bodies
1: like, at it. Yeah. Like that's actually an expression we do say sometimes, but I don't mean it in a negative way. Yeah. Like there's a, when we build a new business, we're like, we need three, we need bodies. We yeah. need bodies right now. Yeah, Sorry. Totally, Sorry no, no, it's,
0: no, it's a, it's a good, um, I was just kind of piggybacking on what you said because I, that never left me because he was talking about, Yeah. and, and I agree with you. It's not right or wrong. I mean, the, like you said, there's there's solopreneurs who, you know, I know a couple guys that have like, it's them and a few contractors and they make four or $5 million a year. They make more than me. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Good. Good Good for like them. you said with the purpose though, you know, and I, I'm curious on this note, cause I found myself. So when I sold my first business in 2014, you know, I had grown to over hundred employees and probably hired a thousand different employees. It was, you know, some of it was seasonal and I was so burnt out, Josh. I remember, yeah. I yeah. remember telling Kara. Um, I wanted to find a business that had <laughs> no employees and no customers. I was just so like. <laughs> I like the
1: no employees part. That I've heard that before. I've never heard the no customers. Well, well I, how do you have a? <laughs> I
0: I think the only like, and and by the way, I've totally retracted from that. But you know, I started thinking like, what kind of business is there that that is? And I think literally, it's only stock trading, which I'm not interested in Oh, good all. point. Yeah, um, yeah, I
1: guess that could work.
0: But somewhere. as I, like, kind of went through that journey, I mean, so I'm curious in seasons, have you ever gone through seasons yeah. where you, where you lost that?
1: So, you know, thank God. So I, my original heart was in academia, actually, at first. I mean, I was always a business guy. I grew up pretty humble and poor. I always hustled stuff at the playground. I sold cotton candy, all that crazy stuff. But then I had this deep, actually I had a deep, deep religious conversion and I wanted to just be working ministry of any kind, you know, okay. at first at an 18 year old kid. And uh, so I studied theology and history and philosophy and and just really dug into the, the mind of uh, what makes us whole and happy. Anyway, that was when I was really young. And so uh, I always thank God for that time in my life, even though I've gone on to do business ever since really. Because it does keep me grounded a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. this last few years, you lose a company, you get disillusioned with a lot of things, right? You lose a partner, a wealthy partner changes their course and decides their kids are more important than the business you built for them. Those types of things are disillusioning, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, So back to whether or not you want to work with a lot of people, less people, no people. I think I feel good that I've come to some basic ground foundational rocks, some granite. And I think one of the granite things I've found is that we are all flawed and we have the potential to really do sad things and uh, we can hurt each other's feelings sometimes intentionally, sometimes accidentally. All that is true. I mean, everything that makes you disillusioned is really happening in this world. And then you just have to say, am I going to focus on that? Or am I going to focus on the good things that we can actually possess? And you and I are around some great people, great thinkers, great, you know, people who do a lot of great meditation you and I, I don't know if you know hal Elrod is yeah. probably better than I do, but guys like that, look at how much good that dude's done with miracle morning just yeah. by being grounded. And you know, he does, he, he says you should focus on your purpose every day and try to do something good for others. So, and do a miracle morning So that. Actually I'm letting that inspire me rather than the uh, oppressive stuff. So let's fast forward into business. When you own a business, the, one of the first things that will disillusion you, Billy, Sammy, Jenny, rod whoever's listening is you'll get disillusioned if you're trying hard to give a good work environment then you might make a shift and downsize and now you have to let bill go and jenny go and then they sue you mm. like and you're like but wait but i actually care about them why are they suing us and there's usually some preposterous reason or something like that we have hundreds of employees this uh, statistically is inevitable yeah and that was the last disillusionment i've had which was I can't believe it. We're not trying to hurt anybody here. There was this cause and that effect. And, um, but even that I I say to myself, no wonder people want to have no employees, right? You know, you're sitting, you're killing yourself, not taking a paycheck for years and you're still having people misinterpret an action or a comment or whatever. And you're like, man, I'm really not trying to hurt anybody here. So why are they, why does something bad happen to us? And you just come back to, I had one little thought if we were to let that overwhelm us Mm -hmm. one or two crazy situations out of 200 active employees but i'm sure we've had 350 since we got here and most leave because it's seasonal or whatever i always say while you're with us we're going to try to make as great an impact on your life and we ask that you'll do the same for our guests and if you if this is a seasonal thing for you mr smith god bless you that's fine Please enjoy your time with us and hopefully you take a piece of the good we've created here. And that, you know, that's just how we've come to grips with this. That For for all the sadness we can create in each other's lives, there's also equal, if not more, potential to do great good. And, and let's just focus on those things for now and uh, not be disillusioned by the, uh, the the fact that sometimes it doesn't go the right way.
0: You know i'm i think i'm going to name this podcast more is better more kids more employees more- <laughs> <laughs>
1: <I'm just kidding. laughs> well the more kids helps you get rid of any you know attachments i will tell you that much because you know you just i don't know when we're not helping a kid or something and i'm i'm fine with that that's just yeah. the way our that's our calling man we love it more properties more investment partners just more is we better. need more properties we we went out this year to buy five resorts Actually, eight total we tried to get. We had three under agreement. It's been an aggressive year because, because as as you know, everything else is, is not on sale. Mm-hmm. Multifamily, self-storage, everything's expensive and overpriced, maybe. Yeah. Resorts and hospitality is actually on sale. So I've been trying to buy. Nice. I mean, this is like what they say. With This is a Warren Buffett moment for us. Like buy it. the damn things when they're on sale. Uh, but the, the bankers have been the challenge, not the investors. Everybody wants to join us. So we're trying to figure out the banking model. Because it's this is just a deep thought, Mike. When the banks will throw money at you, the assets go up in value sometimes more than they should because there's so many bankers throwing money at you. Mm-hmm. When bankers won't throw money at you, assets go down in cost, but maybe have an higher intrinsic value. It's, high, it's that whole an- anomaly. So we, we're betting on the long-term with our projects.
0: I like it. It's good stuff. Hey, this is Mike Ayala.
1: And Kara Ayala.
0: Kara, I don't want to brag or anything, but i definitely label us as a high-performing couple.
1: Well, I I wouldn't object to that.
0: What I mean is we're aligned. We work together, we achieve together, and we aim high in everything that we do.
1: And we succeed together because we know how to support each other to make sure we reach those goals.
0: Yeah, in business and in family life.
1: It wasn't always that way, though, but we've grown and we've learned and just reap the rewards of learning to communicate better and working together at a very deep and valuable level.
0: Yeah. And making our partnership thrive as a couple is something that has just accelerated our growth in a ton of ways. And that's why I'm so pumped to share that with other couples through our Next Level Couples Mastermind.
1: Yes. I'm so excited about this because it's another thing that we get to build together. And it's something I wish we had for ourselves as a tool to use years ago.
0: We've still got slots open for the Next Level Couples Mastermind, which we designed for high-performing couples who want to get in the room with us and other couples to focus on growth
1: growing your relationships, partnership, your wealth, just growing everything by making that bond as strong as it can be.
0: The mastermind includes a couples mapping and goal setting retreat in Austin, Texas, and just so much more. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so awesome. You can sign up today at nextlevelcouple.com. The event kicks off in January and spots are limited. Hope to see you there. You may have already alluded to this or answered it, but what is the single piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most?
1: Um, You know, our capital hacking podcast is all about the principle that kind of changed my life. And that is, uh, capital is actually more than cash. So everybody listening here is building their human capital right this minute. And between you and me, I think, you know, this, you and I would take a great colleague, uh, a great young entrepreneurial staff member, uh, someone we could build another business unit around, actually it would be more valuable, their human capital that they're building than a direct investment sometimes. So a direct investment of half a million dollars may, it's absolutely fantastic and we appreciate it. But boy, we need teammates right now that are gonna help us shoulder the burden so that we can keep going. Cause we, just like your groups and all the things you do, we actually have a lot of great opportunity. Now we just need teammates yeah. that, that can keep up with the, the growth. So human capital is actually more important than cash. So everybody listening has probably more value they can add than they thought, because I think we all get tempted to think investors have all the, uh, the value to add. And I love investors. We created a whole community about being good to our investors, but we like to call it a more of a a fair trade. You know, we put together incredible, that's why we changed our terminology to capital syndicator, not Mm -hmm. cat, not a real estate syndicator. We call it capital because I'm, I'm aggregating some of the best people. Like if you come to our learn and grow events or whenever you can come to one of our events, Mike, you'll be like, Oh my gosh, that's the guy who's the vice president of hospitality operations This is the vice president of development construction. (laughs) These are like world-class players. Yeah. Because guess what? It takes those world-class players to to make investments work. Yeah. And um, anyway, so we're, we're really focused on people right now. I love it.
0: And I've, I've been keying in with, you know, some of my business partners, and we've talked about this on the podcast with some of the, you know, clients that I coach it. I don't know exactly when this hit me, but I, I want to run it by you because I think this, um, a lot of times when I mention this comment, people look at me like deer in the headlights. And I think everything that you're talking about is like the core thesis of this. And I don't remember exactly where I was over the last, it was a year, year and a half ago and I was talking to somebody and it's interesting as you know, real estate investors we're really comfortable taking 100 grand and putting it into an, uh, an asset or whatever. Let's say it's a million-dollar asset. We put 100 grand into it, yep. so 10% down or whatever. And then we expect you know a 10% return, just using simple math because I'm not that smart. And so it, you know, it makes $10,000 a year. We put $100,000 into it, cash, and put a bunch of leverage on it. And we're happy because it's a 10% return. But how many people will not put 100 grand invested into a human, or, or when they do say, hey, I got to put this $100,000 salary out there, they expect this human to just increase their, you know, revenue by like unreasonable terms. And really at the end of the day, I've been challenging some of my clients and thought processes lately. Like if we would just think about humans and when you say human capital, like I, that's why I wanted to just kind of run this by you because oh, I, yeah. I know Go you'll get it. it. Like, So many times when I'm like, just hire, go hire somebody like you need to get out of your own way. My clients will go like their eyes just start spinning. Nobody's going to do it as good as me. I can't, I don't have enough capital. These are real estate investors. These are people that understand leverage, but they don't understand Mm -hmm. leveraging humans, like leveraging people.
1: Really? Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, you know, we changed our department about four years ago from HR to human capital. So you, if you work with us, you go through the HR, HC department not the HR department and we train every week on capital on the people. We teach them the fundamentals of our service culture and commitment. And then we teach them on their skills. So I have overcome that challenge mentally. Um, But you know what it takes, if you're going to, if you're going to agree with your philosophy, Mike, uh, that we, you can invest in people and and their return on that doesn't have to be 7,000%. It can be 100% return on their money and consider that a win. 10% would be the bare bones, by the way. You sure. you and I would probably, it would be hard for you and I to spend $100,000 on a teammate who only brings in 110,000 new or, you know, all things being equal. But net, you let's just think about net. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the metric for me is usually I'm excited about bringing on an executive if we can expand the business plan. Sure. Um, and then as far as replacing myself, that's been my goal. Like, there's a deeper question you're asking, can you replace your skill set in your company so you can grow the company? It's very deep stuff we're going into right now. This is very much like the EOS system, right? And I'm sure you've heard of that. And I'm sure you talked about the entrepreneurial operating system. I have an amazing EOS I would say coach. She's awesome. You you have an, you have an implementer? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're in the process of that right now. We're using the system. We started with EOS and then then we moved over to a system called the elite system with Don Wenner, uh, elite execution system, EES, uh, based on a lot of the same principles. And I will tell you, it is brutally uh, hard to transition out of being a strong performer in your business to a strong performer on your business. Mm. And I'm not saying we're even hitting 50% out of hundred right now. We're not, but I, we're doing the discipline, you know, we're, we're changing, we're changing our processes, our meetings, our titles, our org charts, our uh, standard operating stuff. So we're in the middle of that right now, but back to your point, I am a firm believer that it, as you become an entrepreneur, hopefully you start to realize how wonderful it is mm. to develop talent and to let talent lead. I guess there'll be a test Mike in a year or two or a couple of years, you can come back. Remember how I taught my bigs, middles and littles. Yeah. And if you're big, you're in charge of the middles. That philosophy is what I think you're getting at too. If you can in, insert talent at any of those levels, that can take over the portions you were doing on the other levels. You're, you're doing the right thing. Now it all comes down to, can you actually implement a new teammate efficiently? And none of us are great at that. I remember Jack Welch. I think he's the GM guy, right? He said 50% is the best he ever thinks he got to. Hmm. So half the people were total disasters. Half the people were right. So we also have to recognize that. My wife loved that. Like five years ago, we heard a speech on a podcast, probably or some some recording. She's like, really? 50%? Because she, she and I, of course, compliment each other. So she always gets furious if I hire the wrong person then you do every once in a while you hire the wrong yeah. person. And she's like, well, why'd you do that? I'm like, guess what? I'm not perfect. I get it. I made the wrong mistake. So this year we did actually hire a few executives in anticipation of growth. And I was all about it. Cause I was like, I need a key player over here and uh, who can do 30 hotels at a time. I need a key player over here. Uh, now we're probably going to hire into fundraising because we're growing that as well. And I need some more support there, but you know, I recognize my weakness and I'm, before I hire another, a senior teammate, I'm going to learn the process of hiring and implementing at a higher level. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was me going to, uh, giving you all my mistakes. Sorry. No, I I think it was good. And, um,
0: you know, when you're even talking about, I mean, Gino Wickman talks about this, like it really takes a year. I mean, unless you see it immediately, it takes a year to figure out if, you know, if somebody's really going to make it or not. And I read a Harvard study that it takes the average person for an average position. We're not necessarily talking. It's an average position. Um, It takes eight months for them to figure out what their core job really is and, and be fully functioning at it, which is interesting in itself.
1: That's interesting. I wonder, I always say as an entrepreneurial company, we don't have that kind of luxury, especially if you're expensive and we've hired some very expensive players lately. And um, we came down to um, using the other thing that Gino and those people talk about, which is identify your core values and Mm -hmm. stick to them higher and fire for those reasons. We've boiled it down to, because we're a rapid growth company, um, we really are growing internally each year, year over year, and then expansion goals. So we have both types of growth. And at this point I realized, you know what? we're not going to hire anybody that can do 30 hotels at a time. You know why? Because they probably don't know how to do work because when you're doing 30 hotels at a time for Marriott, you have 16 different crews doing each thing and managers doing management of managers. And then you get to take all the credit. I'm like, you know what? That person probably doesn't actually know how to open up a hotel. And so what we've realized this year is the word scrappy. Mm. You know, we love the idea of scalability. But scalability comes after you prove to me you're scrappy. Like we're kind of in that stage, Mike, where we've scaled back. We actually had a big kind of revelation or epiphany as we're going through one of these EOS type systems where I'm like, I made that. That's why that mistake happened, Mm because I was thinking of scalability over scrappy. And we're not big enough to make that kind of mistake yet. We don't want to make any mistakes. Nobody does. But if you're going to make a mistake, aim small, miss small from the movie, uh, a with Milgus, aim small, miss small. So for right now you got to be talented enough, but more important than talent is you have to be scrappy. Scrappy to us is you're going to get your hands dirty when you need to get your hands dirty. And you're going to understand the pieces and the components to go into the success. And then as we get bigger, you'll move up a scale instead of coming in too high and not knowing how to get back down.
0: You know, it's interesting just, I mean, obviously we've had other conversations, but even just sitting here and um, anchoring in and you talked about your values, um, it's one thing to scale an organization and have that organization keep up with systems and processes and, you know, HR. But when you're talking about human capital and that whole philosophy and how important that is to you, I mean, that's even harder to scale, right?
1: (laughs) It can be harder to scale. So I do think I was at a, a conference the other day and someone said to this guy, you can do it this way. It's easier. You can do it this way. Why are you doing it this way? And he said, because I, I believe that's a higher calling mm. and I just feel called to that. So for yeah. us, it is about developing the people and it is harder this way, to be honest with you, but I think it's more enduring. Yeah. So let, let me give you one stat that has made me feel comfortable that we might be on the right track. We made it through Corona and COVID without having, missed a distribution without any problem, any fundamental problem. Clearly we got punched in the belly. We're in hospitality. We pivoted because we had the right kind of people to pivot into different experiences that sold weddings and stuff uh, at a higher rate and whatever. We had 16 different things we did during the pivoting. They all seem to have worked out. So we came through it stronger. We now have multiple new revenue streams that, that work even after Corona, COVID. But the other big thing is we've never had, you know how like, you go to a restaurant and you're in Austin, right? You're yeah. in Austin yep. now. And some restaurants still say this section's closed due to no staff or this counter's closed because of no staff or our hours got cut by two hours because of no staff. We've never had that. Yeah. We've made it through with staff. Nice. And it's because staff have incurred, recruited other staff. Yeah. Staff have stayed. And we ran, I would say 10% less staff than we would have liked during some of the peak times, but not 50% less. Yeah. And now we're at full staffing again, and our prices are higher. We do pay more, a little bit more. Everybody did during those growth those growth months of uh, the, uh, the COVID. But we have a happy, productive staff. And I, I credit that to sticking true to the core values. And, and we never told you what the three core virtues are. We say these three virtues, you cannot work with us, Not because you're not great at your job, Mr. Marketing Expert or Mrs. Front Desk Expert or whatever. But if you don't want the three virtues of Viva May, so our core business is Viva May, Revive the Soul in French, and we run businesses with this culture. And we say you got to have three virtues, joy of service, humility of heart, and ministry is your goal. So, joy, humility, and ministry. Do you want those three things? And what we ex- we explain every one of them. Joy just means don't take the job that pisses you off. Mm-hmm. Every job has its goods and its bads, and if you hate these this job, but you took it because we offered you a paycheck, don't take it. We'll we'll fire you pretty quickly because you actually actually have to like it. You got to bring that with you. Okay. Humility means you seek humility. Uh, as a strength and not everybody in the world does. So we try to only hire people that see this point. I said, listen, this makes teamwork more possible. This me, make, this makes you gra- grateful for the work you get to do. It, 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 permeates everything. Plus it shows that you are equal to dignity of every other teammate and just as equal to dignity as the guest. that's humility. And then ministry means this is the secret. As a matter of fact, there's probably going to be a book coming out called soulful service. Eventually for all industries, if you can encourage your teammates to choose to make their work a ministry, Mm. it makes everything so much more valuable. And ministry just is a spiritual word, but it's a fancy word, but it really just means do small things, the tasks of your work, not so that the task gets done, that's just surface level, but so that the beneficiary of the task feels loved. Mm. So it's like a really weird thing. I always say, think of Thanksgiving charities when you go out to feed the poor at Thanksgiving, have you ever done that Mike? you yeah. know like bagged turkeys or something like that. I did it. I did it as a high school guy. I should be more charitable. I should do it now. But I remember, <laughs> you know what they told me to do? Make a brown bag of canned goods and make 50 of them. I'm like, okay. And I'm in the back bagging canned goods. Then they tell us, drive them around with these people and drop them off with these people. So we get out of the car, we hand them a bag. What the heck about that is charity yeah. or ministry. It was the intention that the person feels loved. So the work was simple and not fancy. And yet the ministry happened because they felt our love through the paper bag. Hmm. So we always say you can transmit that kind of love through any kind of work. And we want to hire people that actually want to transmit good. It's just a cool little thing. And if you put together hundreds of people vibing that way, man, it's powerful. You got to come up and see it, bud. Come on out to one of our resorts. I'm coming. You you had me at. Come on up, come on, <laughs> you're a tough sell. You're very yeah. tough. No, I've, just...
0: I've been, I've been watching some of your events from social media in a distance. And I'm like, I gotta go to that, do a great job. So thank you, um, man, this is, this is awesome. You're awesome.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, you know what, this is, this is who, this is how it works. This is why you do investing for freedom too. The, the reason you do what you do, I watch you. And the reason you're so bold online speaking the basic truth, like, right, you know, independence is based on you making commitments for you that, that are, you know, set a goal, strive towards it. You're going to have to make sacrifice, but when you get there, it'll be worth that. And, And, and choose. I imagine part of the core philosophy is when you're investing for freedom, you're probably not doing what everybody else is doing. There's a certain contrarian understanding of life because everyone else is trapped is kind of your thesis, right, mm-hmm. Mike? Yeah. If you do whatever what we were told to do, when we were going through the uh, indoctrination machine. Yeah. You're trapped. Yeah. And so what you're doing is opening people's eyes to that. And I think it's your ministry, man. I imagine you get excited, like like we would, if someone were to hear what you said and found some freedom. Yeah. That, that's a that's a huge win. Speaking of
0: finding freedom, um, you were talking briefly about. This efficient income fund. I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so curious. Tax freedom. Yeah. Tax freedom, yes. bro. Well, like, you know, and you mentioned him, but I remember like Tom Wilwright, the first time I was listening to him, he said, you know, you want to know how to make more money? Save more of what you already made. And I was like, oh my God. Like that was, that was revolutionary, even though it was like so simple, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, he's revolutionary. So if those of you who haven't, had a chance to meet Tom Will right. I'm sure has he been on your show yet? No. I'm sure he would love your show. You should just. I'll send him a note if you want. But he's been on our show, and I don't know him on a personal level. But I've been to many of his seminars, many of them, and his book. Everybody can download his book on Audible right now. It's called "In um, Tax Free Wealth." Mm-hmm. By, uh, yeah, Tax-Free Wealth, I think it's called. Yeah, yep. Tax-Free yep, Wealth. I'm looking it. at, by the way, I, I drink my own Kool-Aid. Look, it's right there. Yeah. Tax-Free Wealth. It's a good one. Um, Tax-Free Wealth. So he just basically simply says, if you read the IRS tax code as a roadmap to wealth and freedom, it's right there in front of your eyes. And, you know, for guys like you and I, we help make freedom available for so many people because, one of the best ways is if you buy real estate and then you get the benefit of depreciation on page like 36, he writes in bold letters, depreciation is, what does he call it? The, the magic. He yeah. said, depreciation is like magic. Yeah. And it's because you own something that's throwing off positive cash to your bu- your bank account. And the IRS at the end of the year says that they consider it a passive loss. Mm-hmm. And that magic is how the wealthy have always protected their balance sheets from taxes. They buy depreciating things. So lots of fancy things I just said there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, it it gives you a chance to read that book or to maybe hear another show uh, that he's done. But in general, he's saying, if you change your facts, Mm -hmm. that's another famous quote of Tell Me change your facts, what you own, you will change your tax yep. because I grew up like everybody thinking the tax taxes were a penalty. If you make more money, you just get more penalty. But his whole point is why don't you just buy an asset that depreciates and then you will pay less tax and have a higher balance sheet. Well, anyway, fast forward, real estate is awesome for that. You know, you, you probably do the, do, do uh bonus depreciations on your funds Yeah. or, or ta- cost segregations. Yep you know, this is where, for those of you listening, this is where you can buy a million dollar building and the equipment and the stuff that's inside the HVAC and all that, the roof even, things that don't last for very long, they let you write them down through a cost segregation. So you get a pretty big negative Mm -hmm. K-1 document at the end of the first year. We took that strategy, learned from some of the best, and we built small funds, like a million dollars, two million dollars that allow investors to invest 10 grand, 100 grand, and whatever they put in, they get back in a negative K-1 that year. So if you write 10 grand in, our goal is to make sure you have a negative 10,000 K-1. Why is that powerful? Because you still own it, okay? The IRS is letting you say you don't own because of depreciation and got a loss. So you could theoretically write the check for whatever you have in passive income this year that you didn't offset with some other asset 10 grand, 20 grand, 100 grand, and then save all of the taxation you would have been banged on for that year. So these little efficient income funds, think of them this way. We're doing what Bank of America does. We're doing what um, the hedge funds like Blackstone and Carlisle Group. We've created a captive leasing fund. Hmm. And we take this equipment that we would have bought anyway with cash as as an operating company or I would have leased it. As an operating company, because resorts have tons of equipment, golf carts, kitchen equipment, rental equipment. We buy all this stuff and we rent it to our guests, right?
0: Yep.
1: Or we use it. We would normally sign a lease with some big anonymous Wall Street banker. They would own our assets. We would lease them. They'd get all the depreciation. We'd pay a fair rate. What we figured out is we could pay our investors that massive return. I mean, massive return. And, uh actually save a couple points and still it's good for the investors, but it's way better for us than it would have been if we just gave it to bank of America. So, so we created these very strategic, efficient income funds. They're efficient for the investor, no taxation. They're efficient for us, lower tax, lower cost. I mean, and uh, basically investors get a hundred percent bonus depreciation and checks through ACH um, just for a few years. You're all paid back. You make your money, you call it a day. Wow. Even it's when very you're, cool. It's big boy stuff, man. It's big boy stuff, but we made it achievable for every accredited investor, just like what you and I've been doing for years. How cool is it when you take the strategies that only only the banks used to be able to do and just yeah. give these strategies to regular hardworking business owners, investors, people like that?
0: Yeah. And you're doing it. I mean, I bet the moment that that clicked for you, I mean, you're, you're doing it on you know, something that, like you said, you would already be leasing it from someone I would someone sign else, someone
1: so. else's, yeah, I'd be paying the debt anyway. So yeah. why not give all the wealth to my investors? That was Jeez. our strategy. Wow. And it's big. Just to give you a sense, I mean, it's a combination of your preferred returns, single digit preferred returns, not double, but then 40% typical tax savings for somebody of high earning income. Well, so you take a hundred grand, you get 40 grand in tax savings, potentially year one, plus you get yield. Yeah. So your IRRs are in the thirty percent conservatively. Yeah. Why? Because the tax code has incentivized us to do this. Yeah. And of course, you have to check it out and make sure it's right for you, but it's a killer cash flow strategy that gets rid of taxation.
0: I like it. It's cool. Well, and it's I don't want to say backed by, but you got, got a you yeah. got a great company. I mean, obviously anybody listening to yep. this has heard how amazing you are at doing what you do when it comes to human capital and running the organizations that you run. And so, again, I'm not saying it's backed by that, but that whole company is the one that's making the payments for the golf carts and it's brilliant.
1: Yeah, you said it perfectly. And that's why, you know, recently the Family Office Club, Richard Wilson and I partnered on these because we're on our third one. And uh, he and I've gotten to know each other over the years. He's that guy that every single one of us gets emails from him. I swear every week, right? I mean, Richard C. Wilson, the family mm-hmm. office club, he's a great guy. I don't know if you go to any of his events, Mike, you should come with me. I'm, uh, but he uh, he's been watching that fund and he did a webinar with me. And he's like, I had to join you. So he ended up partnering with us because he's like, this is the number one question I get at family office level is, do you have any end of year tax incentivized investments? And he's like, this is the nicest one I've seen. Cause you don't, you don't, you get paid back. We pay monthly. Yeah. We pay a monthly twenty-five percent cash on cash. Believe it or not, it's unbelievable. And you get your money back quick. And now you're done, and we're done. You're done. It's very cool.
0: I love it, man. Well, what what have we not talked about that you think people we need to We make? haven't talked about my
1: stylish new jacket.
0: Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, Just kidding. Equity, equity jacket.
1: Uh, I'm the logoed guy, man. I'm in all these little Facebook videos. I always have my different logos on, but, uh, um, no, no, I think we've touched everything except for when are you coming up with the kids to our winter wonderland up here? We call it Vintner wonderland at one of the resorts, ice skating and villages and hot cocktails. It's the best, Mike, you got to come see it. Yeah, I would love to at some
0: point. And, you know, I'm probably entering that phase where I maybe get to start bringing grandkids.
1: Are you really? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to rush. That, oh, okay. right? um, don't rush it.
0: Yeah. Dylan's 21. So I don't, I mean, I was 21 getting when we had him. So we're getting there. We're getting there.
1: We got, well, no, seriously, brother. I, uh, we're, we're, we're ice skating up here. We have a professional hockey rink, like call out outside. You got to look it up to believe it at Renault winery. And, and I do honest to God would love for you to come up, be yeah. my guest and bring the family. And it's so fun. And we have bands, you, you'd love it.
0: You know, we just got back from Thanksgiving in Wyoming, and my wife made a comment because there was an ice skating rink in Rapid City. Yeah. And she made this comment. She said, "I've never been ice skating." I got
1: ice skating's harder than it looks, and it probably looks pretty hard. So yeah. I, I'm always amazed that it's full. You build an ice rink, and we we have like five hundred thousand people a day go on that ice rink, and then they, of course they come off the ice rink and buy delicious cocktails. Yeah. Yeah. And fire pits and sit in front of the music. So Mike, I'm telling you, this is as easy as it gets. You get to stay at the warm hotel. You got to come. I'm, I'm coming. I'm, I'm not going to leave. It's open after the holidays. You got to come after yeah. the holiday. I'm coming. Oh man. I'm going to come see you.
0: Well, good stuff, man. Um, appreciate it. Where can people go find you if they want to know more about the efficient income fund or accountable equity or, yeah. or Josh?
1: Well, like you, I'd love for anybody who would enjoy listening to some shows. We have the capital hacking podcast. It's just capital hacking. Mike's on it. Episode one, one, two, he was on the 112th episode, Mike Ayala, And it was awesome. You'll hear things you've never heard before. Check out at least that episode uh, and then accountable equity.com spelled out two full words. That's our, uh, that's our community of investors all over the world. Nice man.
0: Well, I'm inspired. I'm expanded and I appreciate your time. I know my <laughs> audience is going to love it. Um, And I'm still debating, is it going to be bigs, middles, and littles, or is it going to be uh, more is better?
1: I'm not sure which yet. More is better. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I love either one, man. The bigs, the mids, and the littles. You got to, you got to see them too, man. They're on some of my YouTube, my my videos. They cracked me up. This weekend we did a video and they were following me around and I was pretending I didn't know who they were. So I have a, sometimes my jokes don't land, Mike. And I have a feeling there's people that are probably watching that going, who are those kids? <laughs> they're following them around. Every video they're in is, because so I kept saying, who are these kids? Get them away from them. <laughs> Anyway, I find it funny, but last joke. Okay, because this, this actually happened a week ago. I was doing a, I get to do a guest speaking at our own training. And I make a joke because I'm cutting weight. Mike, you'd be very proud of me. I'm down a bunch of weight. And and I'm in front of the audience and there's a picture of me from 20 years ago. And I'm like like 180 pounds now, I'm like 220. And I look so much thinner and I point to one of our teammates. I said, Brianna, yes, I I promise I will cut the weight. I know you're always asking me, when am I going to cut the weight? So I'm joking that Brianna is telling me I'm fat, right? And I was just so deadpan joking it. Afterwards, she got harassed by a bunch of other teammates. They're like, how could you talk to Josh like that, man? That's not nice. (laughs) She's like, I didn't say it. He said. So anyway, my jokes sometimes do not land and people get mad at teammates for calling me fat. But she never did, actually. And she's right. I need to cut the weight. See? Right there. See? That's confusing. Did Brianna actually say I need to cut the weight? I don't know. I I think we should give the audience Brianna's email so that they can
0: find out. She's so mean to me.
1: Brianna is so mean to me. She's out there serving cocktails and yelling at me about my weight. It's the best. (laughs) I love it. Well, again, brother, I appreciate you and
0: um, look forward to coming and visiting.
1: Thanks, buddy. Thanks for everything.
0: Cheers. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners.